You're in your Bibles at, at Matthew 5, and I want to just quickly and succinctly share something with you this morning. We've been talking about happiness, and so if you've been here any length of time, you know that we're in the middle of this conversation. What does it mean to be happy? We chase it, we pursue it, we want to be happy, right? Uh, we live in a, in a nation that's addicted to happiness, and yet we have been saying, and the statistics prove this out, that we're kind of starved for it. Like, like, we're addicted to it, but we're starved for it. In fact, as a nation, we used to be third in the world when it came to happiness. Now we're 19th. We're going the wrong direction, right? Uh, we live in a society that spends more than ever to be happy, right? We spend all kinds of money to be happy, and yet we seem to be happy poor, right? We're bankrupt. Here's how we know that. The statistics say this. In this room, one out of three of us are happy, right? And so in our country, one out of three people would say, I'm happy, legitimately happy. And the one that do say they are happy is something that shifts and changes all the time, right? I'm happy one minute, not happy the next. And so we said we live in this make me laugh world. And yet the problem is we seem to be losing our smile. I shared this with you. A lot of you found this interesting last week that uh, the average child smiles 400 times a day, right? And uh, we said that's kind of cool, right? But the average adult, you remember, smiles how many times a day? about 20 times a day. You know, I went on a trip to Virginia to visit my son this last week, took my wife and my daughter with me, and we just smiled at each other the whole way so that we could be above average, right? We wanted more than 20 a day. But it, but it caused me to do a little research. You're like, man, what do you do with your spare time? I did a little research, like, why are kids so happy? And I found this in Psychology Today. I think it's where I found it. But it's the seven secrets of highly happy kids. Tell me this stuff wouldn't make you happy. Uh, what, the very first thing that makes a kid happy is they eat on time. Can I get an Amen. Yeah, I mean, that'd make me happy, right? Uh, second thing, they get consistent sleep. Some of you are cranky because you don't sleep, right? Um, they play without interruption. I, with, I wish nobody would interrupt me when I want to just have a good time, right? They're free to express their emotions. The fifth, highly, uh, the habit of a highly happy kid, that's hard to say, is that they get to, they're free to express their emotions. They get to make some choices on their own. Six, they feel like they're heard by their parents. And seven, they are secure in their parents' unconditional love. I love that, right? Uh, some of those make sense to me. So we're saying somewhere along the way, what happens as a kid gets lost as an adult, that's why we're talking about happiness. But here's what's interesting. What's interesting that surprised a lot of you is that Jesus' very first recorded sermon is something called the Sermon on the Mount. A lot of people have heard of that. But the introduction to that is something called the Beatitudes, Right? So the Beatitudes are an introduction to a bigger sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. In the Beatitudes, Jesus nine times says this word blessed. And why we've been leaning into that is that word blessed just means happy, means blissful. It's a deep happiness that is independent of external circumstances. Now, I don't know about you, I kind of want that happiness because things outside of me can steal my happiness, right? You tracking with me? And so Jesus seems to be introducing this sermon with the idea of happiness, what, how you and I can begin to get our arms around this happiness. So all we've been doing is week by week looking at each of those statements. And so every week we've just torn apart those statements. This morning, I want you to look at this statement, the very next statement that Jesus makes in his sermon on the mountain, he says, blessed, or let's use this word, happy are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. Happier people who show mercy to others because those people are going to be shown mercy. They're going to get more mercy. Now, look here a second. I say this. If this is your first time here, I say this all the time, apparently, because people are saying it back to me. But I re this is a passion of mine. This is a deep passion of mine as one of your pastors. I really, really, like, I love teaching you the word. I love it. Like, I, I get jazzed about it. 
But what I really get passionate about is if somehow the Word of God, the Bible, comes alive to you. I want you to read it in color, not black and white, right? Sometimes we can read it and it's just words on a page, but I want you to read it in color. And so for us to understand what Jesus is saying here, it sounds like a cool statement. It sounds like something you can put on a plaque, right? Blessed are the merciful. They'll be shown mercy. Like, cool, I'm going to live by that. But you got to understand that he's talking to a group of people in a culture, And when you begin to understand who he's talking to, listen close, because I want you to hear this. He couldn't have said anything that would have been any more countercultural. Like what he says here is blessed, happy are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful, they'll be shown mercy, would have cut right against the grain. People would have heard them like, that's crazy. That's not the thing. That's not the way things work, right? Why would I say that? Because the culture he's talking to, right, is a Roman culture. Everybody's living in the shadow of Caesar, right? He's ruling. And the culture, a Roman culture, would have been a dog-eat-dog world. You tracking with me? It's like the strong survive. And the stronger, they're the ones who thrive. There is no place for mercy, right? In fact, one of their philosophers said this. This is how real this was. That mercy is a disease. That's how they felt about it. It's a disease. Like, if you're merciful, you got something wrong with you. I mean, it was so rough in that culture that women and servants were seen as property, nothing more. Now, I'm making this up. And if a child was not pleased with, if a father was not pleased with his child, you know what he could do? He could drown him. Done. Over. No recourse. That's interesting. Right? And so it was a dog-eat-dog world, and Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. It's like, really? You got to be kidding me. That's not the way things work. Right? And so we listen to that, and we're like, wow, things were really bad then. Look here a second. Hold on a second. There ain't nothing new under the sun, right? Anybody watching the TV? Anybody turn the news on? Like we live in a culture where very much it's a dog-eat-dog world, where it's like the strongest survive, where it's like I want to get to you before you get to me. But here's the deal. As Jesus said this, it wouldn't have just cut against the grain of their Roman culture. Listen close. It would have cut against the grain of their religious culture, their Jewish religion. It would have cut right against the grain of it. It would have hit right there. I want to tell you something. It's a different sermon, different time, but it's worth writing down. You can tweet it, you can put it on your Facebook, you put whatever. This is worth it. Religion that loses mercy becomes mean. I'm going to say it again. Religion that loses mercy becomes mean. And so when Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, he's saying it, and there's religious people listening that had become mean. You know how I know that? Because when he was talking to the religious people, you know what he called them? He said, y'all are a brood of vipers and snakes. I've never said that to you guys in here, Right? Why did he say that? You know why he said that? He said, y'all are more interested in your traditions than you are in helping people. You're more interested in playing church than you are in mercy, is what he says. He said, you're more interested in going through the motions than you are even in helping your own parents out. Jesus said that to them. And when we step back and look at it, can we just be honest in this room? Don't anybody look at anybody when I say this, okay? But sometimes churched people, people who call themselves Christians, can be the meanest people we come into contact with. Let's just be honest. Sometimes. Sometimes sometimes people who are church people can be so bent on getting their own preferences, they want their own opinion heard, that they want that more than they want to help people. Come on now. Just speaking the truth, right? And so Jesus is talking to a culture, much like the culture we have even here today. And so here's the deal. It would have sounded stupid to them, absurd to them. Blessed are the merciful. That's not how you get ahead. That's not how you make it. That's not how you survive. But there would have been a different group of people hearing this. Remember, the group of people that Jesus helped, 
the fringe people, the outcasts, the people that everybody else looked down on, the people who were poor, the people who everybody thought was crazy, when they heard him say this, they had to think, man, those are words of life. They explode. And Jesus somehow says, hey, listen, you want to know the secret to happiness? Happy are those who are merciful. So when he says this, what's he saying? Okay, I want you to know this. Let's let's jump in and then we'll jump back out for a second. When he says this, this word merciful, originally it was written in a language called Greek. You can forget that, but we got to understand what does that word mean? It means pity or to act with compassion. Here's what merciful is. It is love, you ready? In action. That's what merciful is. It's love that is actioning. That's what it is. And so here's what it does. Mercy is love that is running to help somebody in need. And mercy is love that is running to pardon somebody who's guilty. I'm going to say it again because that's going to be the rest of our sermon. Mercy is love that runs to help somebody in need. And mercy is love that runs to pardon somebody who's guilty. That's what Jesus is saying. He said, happy are those who run to help those in need. Happy are those who run to pardon those who are guilty. Why? Because they're going to be shown mercy. They're going to be mercy. That's one word in the Greek. You can forget that, but literally here's what he's saying. They're going to be shown mercy. Now, here's what that doesn't mean, and then we've got to race, okay? Jesus is not saying if you're kind to others, they're going to be kind to you. Okay, can we just get that out there? Because that's, that's not always true. Can I get one little small amen in the room? Just, right? it's a, I mean, if you've never experienced that, you haven't lived enough life, right? You can be kind to people, they're not always kind to you. You can be merciful to people, they're not always merciful to you, right? That's not what Jesus is saying. To understand what Jesus is saying, you gotta understand that when he does these beatitudes, he's like putting a necklace together, a pearl necklace. They all go together. And it's the beginning of a sermon. And so here's what Jesus wants you to know. Happiness is an attitude before it's an action. It is something before it does something. Happiness is experienced in order that it can be extended. That's what he's saying. And so to understand what he's saying when he says happy are the merciful, you gotta go back to understand the very first beatitude. Happy are the poor spiritual beggars. Now stay with me on this and then we're gonna run. Why? Because they understand that without Jesus filling their life, they can't live. They need his mercy to fill their life so they can enter the kingdom, so they can experience it. We're poor spiritual beggars. I cannot do it on my own. There is no way I can do this on my own. And when a poor spiritual beggar receives from the king mercy, they're gonna be the ones who are gonna spot people who are poor spiritual beggars and they're gonna be more ready and willing to extend mercy. That's what he's saying. They're connected. Isn't that interesting? These things are connected just like a necklace that Jesus is weaving together. Maybe if we were to put it in a sentence, I want you to put this on your notes. This is the sermon in a sentence. Those full of mercy are merciful, and the merciful become full of mercy. They become full of more mercy. They get shown more mercy. Or maybe a different way to say it, we'll we'll leave this up there so that you have time to fill this in. The more I experience God's mercy, the more I extend mercy to others. And the more I extend mercy to others, the more of God's mercy I experience. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, here, here, here's the deal, okay? And then, and then I, I want to race, and then we're going to close. But I, I got to be honest with you, okay? I want to be honest with you. I've been praying for you all morning. This message has just coagulated inside of me, like in a unique way. And so can I, two things you need to know, and then we're going to go. I think what I want to share with you this morning is going to make 
more and more sense the further we go in the talk. So you need to stay with me. Okay? So stay with me. Because I think by the time I get to the end, it's going to hit you like a ton of bricks. But you got to stay with me. Now, you ready? You ready? I think today's message, I love you guys. I think it's going to be hard. No, no, I lied. I know it is. You know why? Because I've already done it twice. And like, I've been late getting in here twice. You know why? I'm talking to people out there. You know why? Because what I want to share with you is going to be hard. But I love you too much to not share the truth and to share even truth that can be hard to get our hands around. Can we just say that? So we got to do this. So it's going to make sense the more we go along. And then when we get to the end, I'd love it if, if you just stayed put. We're going to sing a song together. And I'd love for you to be here to be a part of that because I want to take you somewhere, okay? So Jesus says, blessed are the merciful. There's two words I want you to write down. There are no blanks for it. But if we're going to understand what it means to be merciful, we've got to write these two words down. Sympathy, sympathy and suffering. Go ahead and write them down. Let's make sense. Sympathy and suffering. You're saying, Dan, why are we writing these two words down? Here's what's interesting. Here's how the Bible comes alive to me. This word merciful is only used in the New Testament in the form Jesus uses it one other time. That's interesting. It's only used in that specific form. The word mercy is used all over the place. But the way Jesus uses the word merciful, only used that way one other time. And it's in that passage of scripture where it's used that one other time where all of a sudden I think I begin to understand what Jesus is saying. And I begin to understand how I experience mercy is how I extend mercy. How I experience mercy is how I extend mercy. Not how I explain mercy, how I experience it. That one other time is found in Hebrews 2. I want to show it to you, and then let's make some observation. Here's what the writer says. We also know that the son, that's Jesus. You're like, who's that? That's Jesus. He didn't come to help angels. That's not why he came. Why did he come? Why Christmas? Well, he came to help the descendants of Abraham. Well, who's that? It's people. It's you and I, right? Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us. So that's why he became a man. He, he, God wrapped himself in skin. Why? Well, he wanted to be made like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our, there's the word, merciful, right? And faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. Here's all he's saying, and then let's write some things down. He is simply saying, God became a man. Why? Listen, so he could suffer with, so he could sympathize with us and suffer for us. God became a man so that he could sympathize with us and suffer for us. And in so doing, he became a merciful high priest. He became this merciful liaison between us and God. I don't got to go to the church to a priest to confess my sins and all that kind of stuff. I don't got to do that, okay? Even if you grew up in that tradition, that what he's saying is, is I have a high priest, his name is Jesus, and that's who I go to. But when I go to him, he's merciful. Why? Because he sympathizes with me and he suffered for me. What does that mean? First, I want you to write this down. With sympathy, with sympathy, God offers to help me. We have a sympathetic God. Guys, don't let that be too casual. It is the very thing, it is one of the very things that separates Christianity from all the other major world religions. 
We have a sympathetic God. He feels what we feel. He understands our weakness. He gets our struggles. That's why we have a God who says, cast your cares on me. Why? I care for you. It's why I love what the writer says later in Hebrews. Look at this. He says, we don't have a high priest who's unable to, there's our word, sympathize. In in the original language, it's sympatheo. I'm going to tell you what that means in a second. With our weakness. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, because we have a God who sympathizes, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. What's that? That's just prayer. Okay? Let us draw near to God in prayer. Why? That we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What is he saying? He's simply saying that God sympathizes with us. Okay, look here a second. What in the world does the word sympathize mean? Well, in the Greek language, okay, I want you to remember this, it means to feel what another's feeling, to commiserate, okay? So you're like, oh, I could have guessed that, right? But I love the way the Greeks described sympathy because it makes it make sense to me. Here's the way they described it. Sympathy, you ready? This is worth writing down, is the ability to get into another skin, to feel what they're feeling. We would say it this way in our culture, to walk a mile in someone else's shoes, right? That's the way we'd say it. The Greeks would have said it this way, to get in to someone else's skin. Do you, or is it popping yet? We have a God, stay with me, the Christmas story is this. We have a God who got in our skin. We have a God who wrapped himself in skin, stooped, why? So that he could sympathize and so then therefore as a sympathetic God, he could help us. We have a God who knows exactly what it's like to be hungry, hurting, and harassed. We have a God who knows what it means to be the victim of anger and abandonment. We have a God who knows exactly what it feels like to feel the hollow of loneliness and rejection. We have a God who, who literally, literally had the wounds of betrayal lashed upon him. He understands what it is to go through the seduction of temptation. Our God is a sympathetic God. He got in our skin. And so therefore, he is a mercy-filled high priest. He wants to help us in our weakness. You ever notice like it's different when you're going through a struggle, when you're talking to somebody who truly understands they've, they've walked, they, they understand your story, like you might be having a struggle and Maybe you're talking to somebody they don't understand, but when they understand your story, they understand different. You ever been, I mean, it just pops, right? It reminds me of a story I read this last week. Help me understand this. Uh, it was written by a lady who wrote, I think, for the New York Times, but she was talking about getting on the subway in, in New York City. And, and if you've ever been on the subway in New York City, it's kind of an adventure, right? But people are on there reading the newspaper. Some of them are sleeping, drinking their coffee, just minding their own business. And she got on, and they went to the next stop. When they got to the next stop, a man got on with his four or five children. He sat down in the seat and just kind of went comatose, just kind of stared straight ahead, and his kids went haywire. They ran throughout the entire subway car, yelling and screaming and hanging from things and knocking people's coffee cups over and stealing their paper and running into people, and it was crazy. This lady sat there, and she's like, man, and this guy just sat there. She rode one stop, two stop. She's like, somebody got to tell this old boy that this is just not okay. His kids are out of control, right? And she said, when I finally got to the end of my patience, I realized I'm the guy. I'm I'm the person that's going to have to talk to him. And so I looked at him and I said, sir, 
She said, I tried to be as kind as I could be. Do you realize that your kids are out of control? You need to get them under control. It was almost like the guy woke up out of a deep sleep because he looked at her and he said, ma'am, he said, I'm sorry. He said, he said, you're right. I, I didn't realize. He said, we just got back from the hospital and my wife and their mother just died. And he said, I have no idea what to do. And he said, apparently they don't either. Now look, 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 story's not done. What do you think happened to that lady? With one answer, she was able to get into his skin, walk in his shoes, and she's like, I had no idea. I had no idea that's what was going on. And she went from being irritated to inspired, didn't she? Because she said, oh my, I'm so sorry. How can I what? Help you. See how that works? With sympathy, God gets into our story and he says, I want to help. I want to stoop and help. And so therefore, those who receive mercy then extend mercy. Write it down this way. With sympathy then, with sympathy, getting into the skin of others, getting into their life, walking a mile in their shoes, I want to help others. That's the way it works. Now, you're saying, how does that work? Well, Jesus told a story, I think maybe to illustrate this point. Not sure, but I think maybe this is one of the reasons he told this story. There was an occasion. Jesus was a great storyteller. Read, his, read, read about Jesus' life. He's a great storyteller. But he had a guy come to him, and Jesus was trying to teach him, you need to love your neighbor. And so the guy asked him a question, who's my neighbor? In Luke chapter 10, Jesus said, I'll tell you who your neighbor is by telling you a story. And it's a story many of you have heard. You don't need to turn there. It's called the Good Samaritan, Right? And the story goes like this. There was a man that was traveling between Jericho and Jerusalem. It was a dangerous road. And on his way, in the middle of that road, he was attacked by thieves and robbers. They took everything he had. They beat him up. They stripped him of all of his clothes. And they left him dead alongside of the road in a ditch. Jesus goes on to tell the story. He's answering the man's question. Don't forget this. And he said, along the road came a priest. You're like, well, what, what, what's that mean? Let's do it this way. Came a preacher. Can we do that? Came a preacher. The preacher saw the man alongside of the road, saw how badly beaten he was, and the preacher went on the other side of the road. Why? Dude, preacher's got important things to do, right? Like he had a sermon to preach. Jesus wasn't done. He said, after the preacher came, there was a Levite. You're like, we ain't got them, do we? No, we ain't got no Levites in here, right? That's just a preacher in training. Just think that, resident. How's that? And this resident came along, he saw this dude, and he's in bad shape. And he looks at him, and it says he walked on the other side of the road. Because he had important things to do. He had to help the preacher. That part of the story reminds me of something I read in Christianity Today. You ever heard of that magazine? There's something important we got to get. In Christianity Today... Some researchers wanted to kind of get some data on how well people understood the Good Samaritan story. And so they did this little experiment with seminary students. Seminary students are, that's where grad school where people learn to be pastors and preachers and stuff. So they gathered 40 seminary students and they said, we want you to go to that building across that street at this particular time. And they gave them 40 different times. And we want you to tell as best as you can the story of the Good Samaritan. Well, these preachers in training, any preacher, like, I'm going to preach a little sermon, right? 
And so they began to think, how am I going to share this? And we want you to speak right into this microphone and wear your best clothes and whatever. And like, so they all got ready and their time came. What they didn't know was those same researchers placed in the road between here and that building where they were going to share this story, a man in beggar's clothes, a man who looked very badly beaten, who would be laying alongside of the sidewalk. Every last one of those 40 students would have to pass that man on their way to tell the story of the Good Samaritan. Listen, I am ashamed to say this, over half, over half, more than 20 of those seminary students walked right past, a couple of them walked right over that man in order to go preach their sermon on the Good Samaritan. What's the point? Listen, 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 listen. Let's not pick on them. Let's look inside. It is a very different thing to be able to explain mercy versus experience mercy and then extend it. I might be able to explain it all day long. It's a different thing to experience it and then extend it. So Jesus keeps on telling his story, right? He said, along came a, a Samaritan. Now, to us in the room, we're like, mm, I, you know, Samaritan? But the Jews would have hated the Samaritans, right? Literally, they would have called them half-breeds. They're like, you're a half-breed, you know, I can't believe, you know, despicable. And so Jesus purposefully uses Samaritan as an illustration, right? So the Samaritan comes along, sees a dude in bad shape, and here's what it says had pity on him, with sympathy looked on him. You tracking? And his sympathy caused him to compassionate. Have compassion that was into action. And what he did is he went over, he bandaged his wounds, he placed that man on his donkey, took him to the nearest hotel, paid the bill, and he said, I will pay whatever expenses aren't covered by what I just gave you when I come back through town. And then Jesus looked at this man and he said, curious. I love, Jesus never gave all the answers, right? I love that. He said, curious young man, who do you think was a neighbor to that guy? And the young man looks at Jesus and he said, the one, listen close, who had mercy. Now listen. So what's Jesus teaching us? Well, Dan, I think we ought to go out of church and, man, I got to look for somebody laying along the road and have mercy. Listen, you might be surprised what I'm going to say. That's not what Jesus is saying. In fact, some of you grew up in church, that's what you heard. Go have mercy. Go to go. That's what I'm saying. If you start there, it's going to wear off. You know what Jesus wants you to get out of that story? He wants you to first see this, that God is our neighbor, first and foremost, who stooped to help us. If you start there, you understand what it means to experience mercy from God. And when I realized that the God of the universe, the God who spoke it all into action, became a man so that he could stoop and help me, then he says, when you realize, experience, understand the depths and the extent of that mercy, then go neighbor and extend mercy. That's what he's saying. And he said, you will understand, listen close, this is so important. Can we throw that next phrase up there, Christian? I want him to see this next phrase or that phrase, whichever one. Yeah, I will experience the extent of God's mercy shown to me to the same level that I extend it to others. Here's what he's saying. The level to which I extend mercy to others is the level to which I'll understand the mercy I've experienced from God. Oh, guys, just let it percolate. This messed me up this week. This messed me up this week. My friend Sammy's sitting right here. If I see that he has a need that I can meet, 
and I extend mercy to him and help him in his need and say, hey, I'll help you paint your house if you help me fix my car. So that's one kind of mercy, right? And when I extend mercy to somebody who can help me in return, I understand a certain level of God's mercy. But listen, listen, listen. When I help somebody who can do absolutely nothing for me in return, I understand a whole different level of what it means to be a poor spiritual beggar laying alongside the road and the God of the universe stoops to help me. You see how that works? You see, the extent to which I extend it is the extent to which I understand and experience it from God. And what he's saying is with sympathy, God helps us. Now listen, sympathy is not all that Hebrews 2 is talking about. Let's go back to Hebrews 2. I'm going to show you this. And this, I think, is the part where it gets kind of difficult. Okay, so buckle your seatbelt. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. What is he saying? I want you to get this. That Jesus, can I teach you a, a word that maybe is a church word, but you know something? Sometimes we avoid that. I want you to understand this, okay? It means Jesus was the atoning sacrifice for my sins. You're like, what? What's that? Let me explain it. All it means is what we talked about last week. Jesus died in my place, paid my price, paid my penalty. That's what atoning sacrifice. Jesus paid a debt he did not owe. You know why? Because I owe a debt I cannot pay. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he died for me in my place. Why? Now listen, I'm gonna, some of you grew up in church and I'm going to correct something you were taught. I believe. Why? Because of his love and his justice, his mercy came running. I'm going to say it again. Because of his love and his justice, his mercy came running. Some of you were taught this. God's a just God. I'm glad his mercy won out over his justice and beat his justice. That's not what happened. God is just, and he never stopped being just. He cannot ever not be just. You know what justice is? Here's justice. Let's throw that up there. I get what I do deserve. That's justice, right? The justice system. I get what I do deserve. Mercy is I don't get what I do deserve. You know what grace is? Grace is I get what I do not deserve. That's what grace is. So here's the way it works. Let me show you. you you've been to a courthouse, okay? And at a courthouse, there's a symbol. It's called Lady. You've not been to a courthouse? Lady Justice, right? Look it up. Google it. Blindfolded lady holding scales and a sword and all that kind of cool stuff. And here's the deal. What's it represent? That on those scales is the weight of evidence that you want justice. Tracking? You want justice. And so here's the way it works. God is a just God. He's got to be just. He's got to deal justly. On one side of the scale is God in all of his righteousness and holiness. On the other side of the scale is all of my righteousness. You tracking with me? We're like, like this, right? Not good. Then how in the world is God just? Here's all my righteousness. It's like, Here's God's holiness. Like, how do we get this? How does his justice get satisfied? What happens? Does somehow if I do enough good stuff, like all of a sudden it's like, nope, because God is a holy God. Like, if I think I can do enough good stuff to even that scale out, I somehow minimize who God is. 
well, then what do I do? Because it's like this, and that ain't just, and God's just. The only way it works is that when Jesus came and died on the cross, we said this last week, that when I say yes to him, I'm wrapped in his righteousness, he gets on the scale with me. And that's the way it works. His justice is satisfied. You see how that works? Well, how did his justice get satisfied? Jesus came and died in my place. I want you to write it down this way. Through suffering, God offers to forgive me. Through suffering, Jesus suffered and died on the cross. Why? So that I could be forgiven. Why? He loves me and his mercy ran after me. So Jesus is saying, when I understand what it means to experience that, I'll extend it, which means this. You need to write this down, and this is the, the tough part of the sermon. That means, for me, through suffering, I will forgive others. Forgiveness means somebody absorbs the hurt. Forgiveness is free. Listen, it's a gift. It's not cheap. Forgiveness is never cheap. And there's no greater opportunity to be merciful than when somebody has hurt me. And the more, listen, listen, I know what I'm getting ready to say is going to sting. It's going to hurt. I already get it. I've been talking to people all morning, trust me. And the more I've been hurt, the more opportunity I have to experience and understand his mercy to me as I extend it. It reminds me of a story that Jesus told. Don't turn there because I want to read it out of a paraphrase. The message. We've read it many times in here. But it's found in Matthew 18. Listen to it, and then I want to explain it, and then we're done. Peter comes to Jesus, and he had the nerve to ask this. Master or Jesus, how many times do I got to forgive a brother or sister who hurts me? Seven? Jesus replied, seven? Hardly. Try 70 times seven. And then Jesus says, the kingdom of God is like a king who decided to square accounts with his servants. As he got underway, one servant was brought before him who had run up a debt of hundreds of thousands of dollars, more than he could count. He couldn't pay up, so the king ordered the man, his wife, children, and goods to be auctioned off as a slave in the slave market. The poor wretch threw himself at the king's feet and begged, give me a chance and I'll pay it back. So the king, touched by his servant's plea, let him off, erasing the debt. Everybody look here a second. He forgave him. He canceled the debt. Listen, who at that point absorbed the debt? You can't miss that in the story. We read this and feel good. And like, oh, that's cool. The king absorbed the debt. He absorbed the hurt. Forgiveness means somebody absorbs the hurt. So when he forgave him, he was out hundreds of thousands of thousands of dollars. He absorbed the debt. You tracking? He forgives the guy. Verse 28. The servant was no sooner out of the room when he came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him $10. He seized him by the throat and demanded, pay up now. So the poor wretch threw himself down and begged, give me a chance. I'll pay it back. But he wouldn't do it. He had him arrested, put in jail until the debt was paid. When the other servants saw this going on, they were outraged and brought a detailed report to the king. And the king summoned that man and said, you evil servant, I forgave your entire debt when you begged me for mercy. Shouldn't you have been compelled to be merciful to your fellow servant who asked you for mercy? king was furious and put the screws to the man until he paid back the entire debt. And that's exactly what my father in heaven is going to do to each one of you 
who doesn't forgive and show mercy unconditionally to those who ask for mercy. What's the story saying? You ready? The story is saying this, guys, that each of us spiritually, for us to understand God's mercy to us, we gotta understand that we owe God a bajillion dollars, spiritually speaking. That's a lot. More than we could ever pay. And that Jesus, our king, emptied his account to pay our debt. And every time I extend forgiveness and mercy to somebody who's hurt me, it's an opportunity to dip into understanding his forgiveness to me. Let's put that statement back up there. I'll experience the extent of God's mercy shown to me to the same level that I extend it to others. You're saying, Dan, help me understand that. I'd be glad to. Imagine with me this morning, will you do this with me for a minute? That over here is an ocean that we can't see the end of it and we can't see the bottom of it. And that ocean represents God's love and his mercy and his forgiveness. Can you imagine that with me? Can't see the end of it, can't see the... God's love and his mercy and his forgiveness are bottomless, endless. His mercy towards me, his love for me, his forgiveness for me is an ocean that I cannot get my hands around. And many times I just wade in up to my ankles or maybe up to my knees, but go no further. As Aiden shared earlier, it's so reckless. It's so incredible that that many of us only spend our lives understanding a portion of it. The problem is this, is that we live life and as we live life, people hurt us. People do things that frustrate us. For some of us right now, the person you're thinking of is somebody who maybe is doing something that's just irritating. You know, it's your neighbor. They let the dog go in your yard, and yeah, it's like that's frustrating. And they're like, I'm sorry, right? That's your wife. She's kind of getting under your skin a little bit. And so what Jesus is saying is this, is that when it comes to people who hurt you, don't try to forgive them from an empty cup, Right? Don't, don't go to church and hear a preacher say, you got to forgive them. Okay. I'm not sure how to do that. He's saying the first step is to go here and begin to dip in the ocean of God's forgiveness and his mercy in a way that you begin to experience what he's done for you. And as you experience that, you begin to extend it to your wife and to your neighbor. Some of you, it's like, yeah, my boss every day. Like, you have no idea the things that I have to put up with. And I come to church and they tell me to forgive and it's like, there's nothing in there. Like when I hit him over the head with it, right? Like, forgive and I feel guilty. And I think what Jesus is saying is this, no, no, this guy who's hurt you Tremendously, your boss is an opportunity to experience in a deeper way, go in a little further, and dip the bucket. Understand God's immense forgiveness and mercy to you. And it's only when you begin to experience that that you can begin to extend that. But they left me. 
for another man. He didn't come home one night. And now he says he doesn't love me. Dan, you have no idea. It's like I'm empty. And I'm angry. And I'm mad. Because he told me he was going to be with me forever. And it's as though Jesus is saying, you're not going to be able to do it that way. You're going to have to go in a little deeper and understand a little more of how incredibly much this holy God has forgiven you. And then pick that bucket up and begin to walk that bucket this way as hard as it is, and begin to extend what you've experienced. But Dan, you have no idea what they did to me. It's unspeakable. And I know you're sitting in this room because every service so far, they've been in this room. Dan, I, 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 there's no way, there's, there's, no, there's, there's no way I get it. There's, there's no way. Well, then what's Jesus saying? I got to forgive them? You can't do that. You, you just can't. You, you can't. Unless you wait out, it's kind of dangerous. It's kind of reckless. And you allow somehow the experience and understanding of God's profound love and mercy and grace to begin to pour over your life. And then you grab that bucket and you walk with that bucket and you let that bucket splash and you let that go. Jesus is saying those full of mercy are merciful. Those who experience it, extend it. And the level to which I experience it is the level to which I extend it. And the level to which I extend it is the level to which I experience it. That's what he's saying. Why is that important? You know why? Can I take you back to last week and then I'm going to tell you a story and be done. Showed you a verse in Philippians 3. Everybody loves. I want to know Christ. Love this, right? So it means the crave being filled with more of him, less of me. And I want to experience the power of the resurrection. Like, yes, woo, power of the resurrection. Yeah, victory. But we stop reading. You see what it says next? And I want to what? Suffer with him. Sharing in his death. So that one way or another, I'll experience the resurrection from the dead. There's something that I have the opportunity to know out here in these dangerous parts of his love that I would never know otherwise. I would never understand otherwise. It makes me think of a story, and I'm going to ask the band to come out and set up. And I'd love for you, for the next few moments, if you can resist 
the temptation to move about and we're going to close and then be done. But I want to give you some space. This story is a story that I've read and many of you have heard. I already know that. It's about a Holocaust survivor. But I actually listened to the story from her own voice and wrote it down as she talked. I will be honest with you, I've done it twice already and it's hard to get through for me. Her name is Corey Ten Boom. And this is what she said on one occasion. She said, the source of our strength is Jesus Christ himself and his cross shows us we can accept suffering. She said, when I was in the concentration camp, one of the most terrible things I had to go through was that they stripped us all of our clothing and we had to stand naked. She said the first time was the worst. And I told my sister, whose name was Betsy, I cannot bear this. Suddenly, Corey writes, it was as if I saw Jesus at the cross. And she writes, the Bible tells us that they took his garments and Jesus hanged there naked. And she says, I knew that he hanged there for me and my sins. And now, in my suffering, I understand only a fraction of his suffering on my behalf and for my forgiveness. She goes on to say, I know that if I was the only person in the world, Jesus would have suffered for me and my sins. She said, but it is something I've been going around explaining, but it was only a few years ago that I began to understand what it meant to experience it. Because I was in Berlin there came a man to me as I was giving one of my talks, and he said, Ah, Miss Ten Boom, I'm glad to see you. And then he looked her square in the eye and he said, Don't you know me? Suddenly it all came flashing back, she said. I saw that the man was one of the cruelest overseers in the concentration camp, a man in whom I had stood naked. That man said this to Corey. He said, I've become a Christian since those days. And I found the Lord. Miss Ten Boom, I read my Bible and I know that there is forgiveness for all the sinners in the world and for my sins. I've been forgiven even for the cruelties that I have done. But I have asked God for, for his grace for an opportunity that I might meet one of my victims and ask them for forgiveness. And so, Fräulein Ten Boom, will you forgive me? He asked her. She says, I could not. And I would not. She said, I remember the suffering of my dying sister through him. But she said, when I saw that I could not forgive him, suddenly I knew that I had not experienced the forgiveness I was going around explaining to others. And I was in a struggle. I could not do this. I just could not. I could only hate him. And then one of the beautiful texts in the Bible came to my mind. The love of God and his mercy is shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. And at that moment... Corey says, I said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you brought into my heart God's love through the Holy Spirit who's given to me. And thank you, Father, that your love is stronger than my hatred and my unforgiveness. And at that same moment, she said, I was free. And I could say, brother, give me your hand. And I shook hands with him. And she said, it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. And then she says this, you will never touch 
the ocean of God's love and mercy quite like when you choose to forgive your enemies. I'd love if you did me a favor and if everybody in the room just kind of bowed your head. Whether you close your eyes is up to you. Just get in a space. I don't know what you're carrying around this morning, maybe for some of you. Somebody comes to your mind right now. Some of you in this room are not happy. You're just not happy. And the reason you're not happy is because you're locked up in a prison of resentment and anger. And you think the longer that you hold on to that, the better chance there is that you might find happiness. And Jesus said, eh, that's not the secret to happiness. But Jesus also said the secret isn't go out and just work really hard to try to forgive them. He said, maybe the place to begin is you need to run into a deeper part of my love. This moment in this space is an opportunity as you think about that person for you to run deeper into the ocean of his love and his mercy and his forgiveness. Ask him right now to help you. Ask him right now to help you. However big, whether you're carrying a bucket, whether you're having problems extending a cup or whether you got a trash can full of hurt. Ask him this morning to walk with you deeper into the ocean of his love because the level to which you experience it is the level to which you extend it and the level to which you extend it is the level to which you'll experience it. And Jesus said, happy are the merciful, those full of mercy because they'll be merciful. And those who are merciful will be shown even more mercy. So in this room, God, I pray that you would help us. Some of us have been hurt in big and huge ways, and we need you to explode on the scene. Some of us this morning need you to walk with us into a deeper part of the ocean of your love, to let go of our resentment and anger, and to allow you to fill our life with a love that is indescribable, unbelievable, limitless, and boundless so that we then in turn might be able to extend it to others.